When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. The reason I have to be honest about it is because this journey is not easy and recovery is, and this disease, you relapse sometimes. No one's perfect. It is one day at a time. And I wasn't doing one day at a time. This episode of Knocking Doors Down is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O co and be sure to add the knocking doors down podcast in the how did you hear about podgo section of the application kelly osborne our guest on this episode of knocking doors down of course knocking doors down all about taking any of the adversities you face in life and turning them into something positive i'm your host jason the chance of course been through some crazy stuff childhood trauma sexual abuse and yes i stand up and go jason alcoholic but hey taken that used it to fuel my present and future and my co-host mikey naraki no different what is going on people mikey's been busted a time or two yeah what are you gonna do and we are talking with kelly osborne she is just fucking awesome she, she's just a delight <laughs> just a delight. that's the best way i could put it she she's delightful and you will hear it you will you'll understand what i'm saying yeah we f- really appreciate kelly being the first people she really came to and spoke openly about her relapse with addiction uh She's incredibly vulnerable because she not only cares, of course, about all those out there that she could help inspire, but wanted to do good with herself. So we're incredibly appreciative of that and excited for her because she's about to start her podcast journey as well. That's right. She's got a podcast launching soon. And uh, we get into it. We talk all kinds of stuff, everything from uh, growing up Osborne to uh, some of those interesting stories in the land of rock. What major band did she egg? You'll hear all about that a little more in the interview. And of course- And, 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 not to cut you off, I would have totally egged them too, had the story- you know, been with my family as with hers, I would have done the exact same thing. We got your back, Kelly. Absolutely. And we can't do any of this without 5150 LTM. Uh, If you look at all the social media postings, our YouTube videos, you'll see Mikey and I wearing that 5150 gear. And we could not make any of these trips, any of these interviews without their support. So thank you. And uh, guys, check it out. Just hit that link in the podcast description. Use the code KDD20 for 20% off at checkout. What's the code? KDD20. Sick. Let's rock and roll. We're already rocking and rolling. (laughs) Miss Kelly Osborne. Thank you. Good to see you. You look amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. That's such a nice compliment. Thanks for coming. (laughs) We got the photo of people. You'll see it when it goes up. We were looking for your photos and I go, the one with the long purple hair. (laughs) This is my favorite color. I was like, wow, that looks great. Thank you. Um, but, you, you know, you're here. We're going to be very vulnerable. We appreciate that, especially because the impact on those that are listening, mm-hmm. watching. 
we saw it today on your Instagram. Uh, yeah, I had a stumble. Yeah. But I think it was a blessing in disguise for me. Um, I was running on my own self-will for too mm. long because I got happy. And I am that classic addict that is like, oh, I'm happy. Everything's great now. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. And it took one person saying one thing to me that let the addict in my head be like, fuck it. And because I was dealing with a lot of stress, like everyone has this year. Yeah, sure. Like the pandemic is, if you're in the program, the pandemic has really screwed a lot of people. Yeah. Because we need our fellowship. We need our meetings. We need the program and, and the way that it was. And then all of a sudden that gets ripped away from you. And you're like, how do I start again? And then you become a classic victim and you start looking for excuses and looking for the excuse. And then I finally found the excuse I need and I took it. Mm. And the thing that destroys me is that I lost my time. Why because is- my ego was like, I've got this many years and I've been ah. so this much time. And then I realized that's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is about at all. And... The reason why I was like, it happened, it did not last long. It was a quick bender. And the reason I had to be honest about it is because this journey is not easy. And recovery is, and this disease, you relapse sometimes. No one's perfect. It is one day at a time. And I wasn't doing one day at a time. I wasn't. And I wasn't using my resources. I stopped calling my sponsor. Beautiful artwork, by the way. I stopped calling my sponsor. I stopped going to meetings. I stopped seeing my therapist because I was like, I have the most amazing boyfriend in the world. All my dreams are coming true. All the jobs that I wanted to get that I got because I was sober and was capable to be present enough to do them. And then I was like, oh my God, all your dreams are coming true. You're going to have to destroy it now. You're not good enough. You don't deserve this. And I let it get the better of me. And then... It, everything, I'm not good in situations like most addicts that you can't control. Mm-hmm. And everything that went on recently with my family got too much for me. I couldn't sure. take it. And then with everything that's been going on in this world and never knowing if you're allowed to say something or not, because I just wake up wanting to be a good person and help people and work for equality and work for just the right to be who you are, no matter what. And when you have no control over that because the rules are changing every day. It makes you feel like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? And then I was dealing with my dad's Parkinson's and I was dealing with, am I ready to be working again? Is this what I want? And everything just got too much and I fucking crumbled. And I needed to do it because it made me realize I don't, that's not, the, the addict in me wants me to be drunk, alone, unhappy, no boyfriend, no friends, sitting in my apartment by myself. That's where I am most comfortable. Yeah. Drinking. And I was just like in complete isolation, drinking and sleeping and not like, not being fucking human in any way. And that lasted for one week until the truth is my boyfriend looked at me and I could tell he was like, you're disgusting. And I was like, oh my God, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what the fuck am I doing? And mm. the next day I was like, nope, done. 
I have entered into an outpatient again because I think I need a little bit of extra help. I think it's really important to do that when you relapse. Yeah, absolutely. So I've signed up for different therapies this time, which I'm really excited about because I realized that a lot of my um, issues with the ability to stay on track is expectation. Sure. And you cannot fucking have expectations of people because you can't control them. Yep. Even the people who are meant to do the jobs that they're supposed to do, you can't expect them to do it. And that's where I get hung up. And I'm like, but you're, you're meant to do this for me. It goes back to the control ego yeah. area. It's the control ego. And that's me. And that's where I'm like, fuck this. And right. it makes me crumble and I run. That's why I let this guy pick what's on the TV when we uh, travel. <laughs> Because if not, I get stuck watching fucking NASCAR all the time. <laughs> you a NASCAR thing. guy? Uh, anything motorsports I love. But no, what I wanted to say too, and what we had talked about before we got started, was when you, how you put it on your Instagram, how you owned it immediately, addressed it, and fixed it. Like that was really admirable and really mature and really just like, wow, good for you. That's fucking incredible. Like that's owning it. Okay, for me, that's really important. Yeah. I don't want to be a role model, but I am now. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't something that I was trying to be. I was always the fuck up. So how the fuck am I suddenly now? Oh, she's a role model. Oh, God, that's a lot of pressure. And I cannot, because I respect the program so much, and I respect what sobriety has given me and what it has taught me and how it has allowed me to grow up, because you stop fucking mentally developing the day you start becoming yep. addicted to something. Mm -hmm. yep. So in three years, I had to go from being 13 to 36 mm -hmm, yeah. and you're just like okay I, I i have a lot of growing up to do and i did it but that you have that angel and you have that devil and sometimes the devil just gets too loud yeah, yeah. well and so much of that shit i i know for me it was an interesting process and when i started drinking Granted, I was much older. I really, you know, people like, you didn't really drink till you were 21? No, oh, I was a pretty good guy. I was the guy at the party. Oh, I was the, drinking at 13. Oh, uh, like, no, yeah. this is getting publicized, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, got the, I got the drunk people home from the high school party. But when I noticed one, when it was about, there was a reactivation of trauma in like around 26, 27. That's when everything hit yeah. the fucking fan. So, so much find, of it is based in trauma. Yes. So much of it is based in trauma. But I also like... For me, it's so important to be honest because I really believe you are only as sick as your secrets. And and I know that that's a cliche saying that everyone says in the program, but I, I believe that. It's true. And I am, if people look up to me, I'm not going to lie to them and say I'm Cali sober. I don't believe in that. I think it's wrong. I think it sends a terrible message because if people look up to you and they're like, well, she's doing that. Why can't I? That doesn't fucking work for everyone. And if you choose to do that, do that in closed doors. Don't do that in public. It sets a terrible fucking example. Yeah. A terrible example because there are so many young people that are struggling with this and don't fucking understand mm -hmm. and have been trapped in their homes without any resources. And what do they look to? They look to their iPhones. They look to... Um, Sorry, I, I use the iPhone, whatever, smartphone. <laughs> um, they, they look on their computers. They look to people who are being open about their struggles. And when you're not being honest about what you're going through, it it creates a new standard that's unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think there's a big perception. I have uh, had an interesting situation within the last week, someone that I care very near and dear for. I don't think she'd mind me saying, but anyway. Um, six days, and the attitude's like, well, but I'm not doing what you're doing. It's like, you didn't want, like, 
you did six days. What are you talking about? That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Like you don't even understand. They don't get it. Like, they don't get, okay, just getting through 24 fucking hours and not numbing yourself mm -hmm. is for an addict a miracle every single day. And that's why we say one day at a time. Yeah, for it's a miracle every single day. And one of the people that I work with a lot in sobriety is a guy named DJ Fat Tony in London. If you ever get the chance to interview him, he's the best. And like, he's got this magical way of like, when I, I call him and I told him everything that was going on, and he's got this way of turning everything into humor so that you can see the funny side of it and then get through. And he's just like sat there laughing at me, calling me a twat or being like, why did you do it? I'm like, I know, I know. But the point is like today I'm sober and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I let myself shame spiral for a little bit because I think that as an addict, you have to do that so that you can remember the pain mm. because the pain is the remembering of what that felt like is also something that keeps me sober because I don't want to feel like that yeah. at all. And when you get to the point where you're just going to surrender and do the work, I'm not looking forward to the work that I have to do because I've realized that I have my control issues and <laughs> my ego and the, um, you know, terminal uniqueness that I have to work on. Yeah, right. I'm getting there. Right, isn't that the thing? <laughs> my, my sponsor, ironically, he's he's been on the pot. He became my sponsor after he was a guest, um, and and he was giving me shit about that stuff with with the ego and everything. And he's like, so tell me about the last time. Was, you know, my best friend's mom passed away unexpectedly. Healthy woman. You know, kind of, he goes, well, well, it's normal, and but that got it mentality and mm -hmm. and. I said something, well, my situation's unique, and he just, motherfucker, <laughs> he goes, how? How's it unique? Did you drink? Did you ever get really sick? Did you cause problems? Did it cause you, you know, did you go to jail? Did you, yeah, all that. Okay, shut the fuck up. There's nothing, nothing unique, unique about that. There is absolutely nothing unique about that. But it, what I've learned to do in situations like that is... I made mistakes in, in my recovery with other people with trying to help them. Like one of the lessons I've recently learned is when somebody has relapsed and they ask you not to tell someone, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. And someone's relapsed, you have to tell the, the people that are in their lives mm -hmm. because it's, it, you are people pleasing and you are not helping that person and you're putting yourself in a situation where unconsciously you're participating in it because you're not like whether you say I don't want to be a part of it or whatever because I stayed quiet because I didn't know how to handle it things got really bad for my friend and there's a part of me that f feels bad about it mm -hmm. like a, like very bad about it but it's a lesson that you learn like this is how we learn how to help and protect others in our group and that's what I love about the program and anybody who is in any sort of program or group is that there's nobody else that understands what you're going through than the people in that room. Yep. And you can say whatever the fuck you want and they get it. Even if it sounds stupid, like I'll give you an example. I got an electric car because my mind told me that I didn't deserve to be a person pumping gas. How fucking insane is now that? Now you mean the ego side that like you were above pumping gas no, or not you above, worthy? No, I wasn't worthy to be around people and like doing normal people things. 
because I was just a piece of shit. And like, that's the kind of things that my mind told me that I wow. couldn't be around people because you're not good enough. Right. And then when, and I it like weird stuff like that. And I'd be like, that's fucking insane. And I remember when I told everybody in this one, in, in my women's meeting, about six women came up to me afterwards and said, I did the same thing. I have never heard that. I've one. never heard that either. Like it's this whole thing where like, because I, I think I got self-induced agoraphobia. So mm, like being around mm. anybody or thinking like, like doing things like when you're in the public eye and you look in magazines and you see it, they're just like us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, anything that was like, they're just like us. I was like, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. Like you're not just like yeah. them. You can't like, I didn't go to a grocery store for years. Like weird things that like stopped me. Like I, I like never thought I was good enough. Sure. Which is interesting that you share that because I'm sure people's, why I ask the perception be like, oh, they're too good to do these normal no. things. But for you, it was this arresting of just... You're, you don't deserve it. You're right. not good enough. You don't deserve your achievements because you're just someone's kid. Everyone just thinks it's nepotism. And the truth is, that's not the fucking case at all. Right. Like, I left. I did my own thing and carved out my own career and that's just people being jealous. And it took me a while to fucking get my head around that because I believed everything that they were saying. And I was like, you don't deserve your achievements. You're not good enough. It's only because of who your parents are. And to break that cycle was really difficult, but I did. Sure. Well, you should, because your voice is fuck. Let me tell you, have yourself a Merry Little Christmas. When you sang that on the Osbournes years ago, <laughs> we still listen to that every year. No, you do I not. I swear. And do my you know that that was that a too? one take live recording in my fucking living room? It was really? fucking yes. perfect. <laughs> I swear. You. And I'm like, no, you got to hear Kelly's. And then they're like, what? Like my uncle's or what? And then I put it on and it's just so like I don't think anyone has ever told me that I they love it. I'm obsessed that. with it. It's oh like, my God, I, I love you I put you it on that. YouTube and I just play it. I'm like, shh, listen. <laughs> It's, it's like deep. She gets powerful. It's like there's passion behind it. I love it. So <laughs> thank you. We're being holy and jolly here. Shut I up. mean, yes, your parents are awesome. But them aside, your voice is just fucking phenomenal. So, thank you. I yeah, really appreciate absolutely. that. It's well, and that's a tough. That, I was really excited to tell you that. By the way, <laughs> every year I listen to it. Every year. That's one of the things that you know I couldn't. Um, that I was curious to understand your thoughts and feelings on it because then she, I didn't realize it was youngest thirteen. Of course, you know, we saw you and your brother uh, on TV, so we had the perception. And then, of course, uh, uh, Manny Dave, right? Was yeah, it? Manny Dave. Okay. Big so Dave, Rave. Big I still Dave. talk to Big Rave all the time. So dealing with you guys as kids and all that stuff, but it's interesting you brought up the people-pleasing thing. When do you think that started? And, that, and the reason I asked that is because your parents were public eye. And granted, it's kind of like, I love that. That's what I love about them. It's just kind of could be, you know, fuck all and... Uh, here I am, I do what I do, but did that start kind of with some of that stuff? Do you think being in the public eye? Because a, a big mis... I think, to be totally honest with you, it's a trait that I got from my father. Mm. I think a lot of personality traits are inherited from your parents. Agreed. Um, and I think it's part of my ism in the sense that, like... I don't want to piss anyone off. I spent so much of my fucking life being a dick and pissing people off. And then when you're on your road to redemption, you're like, okay, how do I handle this? I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And it's something for me that is like a huge challenge. I need to break that habit because it doesn't put my sobriety first and it doesn't put me first yeah. at all. And it's, it's something that you think that you're doing the right thing, but you're not. 
ever. You're not. And it's having the confidence just to say no. And then where my people pleasing got worse is that when I joined the program and they're like, if someone asks you to do something, you do it. Yeah. And so I, I was doing all of these things that I didn't really want to do because I was just doing what I was told. If they literally, if they told me go outside and pick up that dog shit and all the litter from the street, <laughs> I would do it. Like I was just in that place of like, I am fully surrendered. Literally whatever you tell me to do, I will do. I was at Amaya as interesting. I was working uh, step four and five with my sponsor because he's new to me. And, um, you know, we're laying it out, and he's like, you do realize what your fucking issue is here. And I go, what? What should I talk more about on the podcast? And he goes, boundaries, man. You've same got, as me, same as me, same like, as me. You've got, you've got no boundaries. The shit that happened to you and all that, he goes, it's fucking boundaries. He's like. It's, it's boundaries, but that's the problem in my family. We're like, because we love each other so much, and we're all fucking people pleasers, there are no goddamn yeah. boundaries. So it creates chaos sure. at all times. And it, that's something that's really important for me is my boundaries. Like, no, I'm not doing that. I will do this, but, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. And one of my things that was always really hard was that I'm terrible at asking for help. Ooh. Terrible at it. Like, mm -hmm. actually fucking terrible. Did you, did you carry a lot of feeling like a burden? Yes. Yes. Oh, there she goes again. We're doing it again. Yeah. And so that's why this time I'm like, I ain't waiting for you to tell me what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you and I am putting a cap on it and we are moving the fuck on because I, there's no way I'm living like this. You know, I, I want a family. I, I want more out of life than sitting in a fucking room getting drunk mm -hmm. by myself. Yeah. And like, I'm telling you, it was that one way. Eric looked at me and I was just like, fuck this, I'm not doing this anymore. But that, was some... the, that was the mm. ending call kind of thing, yeah. But there's something about the difference between a person that comes into your life, or t tell me, for me, mm -hmm. this person that comes into your life that loves you as opposed to your parents, because your parents just fucking in inherently love you, or your siblings, I got a, br I got a brother. My brother is like my rock in yeah. sobriety. My brother is that to me. Like, I... I go to him for everything in that. I mean, tomorrow he has 18 years. So oh, good for him. Yeah, 18 years. And I wish I could be like him. My sobriety is very different. And that's okay. Yeah. It, and, but I do, I wish I could be more... Um, like, you tell Jack a rule, he sticks to it. You tell me a rule and I'll try and figure out how to make that rule different. <laughs> We love shortcuts. Like, do you know what that's I'm saying? What like, that's what do. I fucking do. And it's a problem. So I'm like, oh, okay. So that's where I get in my own way in my recovery as well. Yeah. Like, it took me like fucking a year and a half to do my fourth step. <laughs> it was bad. You didn't, want to you didn't want to write that list, did you? For those who don't know, it was yeah. one of the four steps. You can look it up to find out more. I didn't want to write this because it made me angry. And I... It was so long that I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, but angry at other people or angry at yourself or both? Okay, so this is the thing. Angry at myself for letting myself get to a place where people could take advantage of me mm -hmm. and where I, where I knew better. Mm. I did know better. I just didn't want it. Mm. Um, but angry at other people because 
the victim in me at that time, the addict in me told me that it was their fault that I was like this. But it's not their fault that I'm like this. It's my fault that I'm like this. These are my problems. These are my issues. Of course, there's contributing factors. Mm -hmm. And that's where the boundaries come in. And that's where you just got to be like, I love you. And this is for my friend. This is this is friends, family, colleagues. Like you should see the fucking emails I sent out today. I'm like, this is my schedule. This is what I'm doing for my recovery. If anything you have put on my schedule competes with this, I am not doing it. I don't care how much money it is. And they're all like understanding and moving things around. And I feel very grateful that I was able to pick myself up so quickly. Because I thought this time if I ever went out again, there was no fucking way I was coming back. I really didn't think there was. And it took one look from somebody I cared about and I'm like, nope, not doing this. And how long did you say this lasted? It was like a solid week of drinking. Oh, a week. Like know. a solid week of drinking. Yeah. Yeah, that was my curiosity when you brought that up with the question that I had had now that I recall. Like, and when I tell you, like, solid week of fucking drinking. Like, oh, uh, yeah. Solid. Yeah. And I uh, first confessed to my mom because I, I don't ever want to keep anything from her or my dad. Sure. But she's a town crier, so she told everyone. Oh, shit. And then I was just like, okay. Your mom and my mom should hang out. I know, right? I'm like, mom, that's not how this works. You've got to let me be the one to go to them to tell them because it's my journey. Right. But she was just trying to help. So it, like, I know. You know, so I... I I uh, then was like, and then I immediately called my therapist, immediately signed myself up for the thing, and then I did my post because I have to hold myself accountable and I have to be honest with the people who have looked to me for hope and inspiration. And I cannot tell you the fucking outpour of people who contacted me. That is enough for me to never want to drink again. It was so beautiful. It was so kind. And All the love. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it can make me cry. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so nice and everything that I fucking needed to hear. And it's like, people like that are what keep me sober. And, like, I thank them so much. I don't know them. Mm-hmm. I'll probably never meet them in my life. But those little messages that they send me, like, kept me going yesterday when I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And it is like, I, I didn't think I was going to cry. <laughs> It is, it's so fucking difficult, man. It's not, it's not just like you go to treatment and then you're solved and everything's fixed and you're going to move on and everything's going to be great. Every fucking day is a battle. Mm -hmm. Every day is a battle because my mind works differently. And it, it never will be a mind that like, I was like, I can do that. I can have a glass of champagne. I can like be normal. There's fucking nothing normal about me. I do that shit all the time. That that thing. Ah! I, got, I got the quick corrector now. <laughs> you know the worst. The worst part. And and I was talking with a buddy about that. He goes, "When's the last time you thought about drinking?" Funny you're making fun of me with NASCAR. I go, "Oh, I was watching the NASCAR race." You goes, think how good would be a beer? He goes, "Fucking why?" I go, "Well, I'm barbecuing. My kids are there. Uh, you know, it's Sunday." And it hits the TV right in front of me. Yeah. And there's a car going around the track with it. It's like, it's just a fucking thing I have yeah. to check. This is actually how my love of, like, Same, same. Do you want to, yeah. I started drinking fizzy water because <laughs> yeah. it replaced, because I, I know this sounds really bougie. I was addicted to champagne. Like, champagne was my drink. I loved the taste of it. I could drink it all day, all night, no matter what. I, like, to me, it was like Sprite. Like, I didn't. Yes. 
And so when I didn't have the bubbles, I was like, what the shit am I going to do to replace that? So I went straight to like any, like Perrier, any kind of fizzy, like the fizziest waters I could find. And it really does help. It's weird how that does. Oh, yeah, the sparkling water companies. I should have invested in their stock. I know, it's crazy. I don't know know who's (laughs) bought like $500 worth of fizzy water in the last month, but keep it going. It's nuts, but it's weird how little things like that help. Yeah. Let's jump back a little bit because, you know, we've only seen, you know, your family as it's been put on TV and written and everything. But kind of tell a little more about what was Kelly like growing up, you know? A lot of people, of course, don't know you and Jack aren't the only kiddos, but... Um, so Jack and I and my mom and dad, we did the reality show mm-hmm. and I was already an addict by then really? before the show started. And how old were you when that, like 15? I was 15 when I signed the contract, 16 when it aired. Okay. Um, I was living in the Sunset Marquee Hotel, and I used to put pajamas on, climb out my bedroom window, down a tree, into the bar, and sit there and clean the glasses, and they'd make me Malibu pineapple. And this was like back in the day when no one cared. Like there was no Lindsay Law or like... Mm-hmm. I, I went to the Rainbow, the Roxy, the Whiskey. I was out at clubs like Las Palmas. Um, I lived off Las Palmas. Like, every, like I was at everything from like 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And I started straight with opiates. Oh, my God. Never did weed, never did alcohol. It, it was opiates. And then I didn't really like that anymore. Mm-hmm. So then I discovered that if I drank, I would always have fun. And I didn't really get hangovers. And I could drink in a way that most men couldn't drink. And later on, we did, I did this like geno testing and discovered that my father and I have this gene that metabolizes alcohol and um, uh, chemicals, like any form of narcotic or medication, faster than others. That's why like my antidepressants that I'm on now, I have to take one in the morning and one at night because my body metabolizes it too fast. Yeah. So that's why I was able to keep up and do what I was doing is like, and hide it like I could because like no one knew, my mom didn't know. And then um, the Osbournes happened and I became very famous. Yeah, I turned into literally the most famous 16 year old girl in the world overnight and I couldn't understand why. Because sure. the truth is I didn't really fucking do anything. Like, I was just being myself. I was a kid. How did you feel about it? Like, when you knew you were famous, were you stoked? Or were you kind of like, eh? Or were you like, hell yeah? Okay, so it's weird because I'd always want to, like, we were in MTV. I was a kid. I was like, this is fucking cool. Yeah, of course. Like, I didn't think I was famous. I thought my dad was famous. And it was just like, we were like, the people in the background, I thought it was going to be a show about my dad. I didn't think that it was going to end up being based about all of us and like, focus so much on me and in one day I went from being able to do whatever the fuck I want no one knew who I was to having to have two security guards a um driver I couldn't do anything by myself I had to have someone with me at all times suddenly I was fat suddenly I was ugly suddenly I was spoilt so and and this was everything that everybody was saying and I was like but I don't understand like I was just being myself what's wrong with me like because my family's wealthy now I'm spoiled because you know 
you, I'm not a size zero in LA. I'm fat. Like it was just like, it got to me and I couldn't fucking handle it. But when I drank, I was like, I'm fucking great. I don't give a shit what anyone thinks of me. Yeah. And I was like, fuck it. And it numbed it. And I was, I'm a number. I'm not a patio. Yeah. I was never the girl that's like, let's do this line and fucking go out and have fun. Like Coke was never my thing. I don't get it. Who wants to do Coke and then have to take a shit in a public place? Like it's like the fucking worst thing ever. I never understood that about people on Coke. It was my shit. I loved Coke. And I'll tell my thing with it is you could be hammered because my drink was Jack and Coke. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're a Jack and Coke, Coke guy. Jack and Coke oh, and Coke. Coke guy. Okay. Jack, I, Coke, get, I totally get that though. So when you're hammered and then you do Coke, you're sober, you're good. It's like you sober up, but you're still drunk and you're in the best mood ever and everything's great. I got a rock in my pocket. The night is still young, but the next day, oh my gosh, the next day. Like you say, you never got hungover. I get hangover still to this day watching people drink. Like my See, I never, it bad. never really, I, sometimes I would get it, but like, I remember the first time I gave myself alcohol poisoning. Like, I, we were filming the Osbournes. I had a huge fight with my parents. They grounded me. I jumped out of the window and went my thing, climbed down a tree, <laughs> left. And I was so hysterical. I didn't know what like Xanax was at that time because mm-hmm. it was, still wasn't really a thing yet. Right. And my friend was like, oh my God, you're having a panic attack. Take half of this. And I, it was so light, I didn't feel it, but it stopped the panic attack. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if you drink that with alcohol, what happens. Oh, yeah. So I went out drinking that night with my friends and oh my fucking God, gave myself alcohol poisoning. My mom and my brother had to take me to the hospital. It was so embarrassing. It was fucking horrible, but that didn't stop me. Yeah. You know, it's like, what, what, what's it going to take to stop you? For me, it, I was lucky because I wasn't one of those people that lost their job, lost their family, lost their home. I still was working. Mm-hmm. I had a great fucking career. I was yeah. working every day. I reached a spiritual low where I was like, I want to die. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to live like this anymore. And I also had survivor's guilt because all my friends kept dying. Yeah. Oh, shit. So it's that whole thing of like, why am I still here? And it's clear to me now that I'm here because that's what God's will is. Absolutely. And yeah. I'm here to be a better person and every single day, even before the relapse, like I want to make myself a better person. I want to make the world a better place. I want to do good. I'm, I don't, I'm not one of those people that sits there looking for faults in other humans. That's a quality that I lost when the first, this, with the last yeah. sobriety. Like I don't judge people. I, when I see somebody who I think is doing something stupid, my first thought is, I wonder what's going on to make them do that. That sucks. Yeah. More with Kelly Osborne coming your way. We'll talk a little bit more about her passions and what she's doing in life now as far as advocacy and getting involved in the community. She is one of those people that doesn't just speak but takes action, and uh, it's really cool. Also, who said bad things about her dad on stage that led her and some of her compatriots throwing eggs at these people? Sharon Osborne pulling the plug on them mid-set. Plus, random questions with Kelly Osborne coming up. Mikey. Jason. Have you ever had a Pavlovian response? I don't know what that means. Well, so essentially, you know, when I used to drink beer and stuff like to wind down at night, I would crack a can, I would hear the fizzy, and then that nice drink, right? Well, now being sober, not doing that, 
I still enjoy cracking a can of something and that nice fizzy taste. Okay. So recently stopped in my local 7-Eleven and I saw Liquid Death. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I'm going to have to try it out. Just on the hook alone that it is actually water from the Alps, 100% mountain water. Okay, you're going to get me on like the rugged nature of it and kind of the the metal, you know, because I love my heavy metal. So I'm like, liquid death. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, and it said murder your thirst. I'm like, all right, it's in a 16.9 ounce can, a tall boy. What I used to drink when I drank, I'm like, I'm going to try this out. And I was hooked, man. That's pretty metal. That's pretty metal water right there. Yeah, it's really good. Like I said, it's available, of course, at 7-Eleven as well. They have it at uh, Whole Foods, so you can get at a lot of different locations. Or go to liquiddeath.com. Check it out. Not only do they have the delicious water that it's just, it really is good for me. That, like I said, that nice Pavlovian response at end of the night. Still like to wind down. Don't drink anymore at all, but I like something refreshing. So I pop that top. I hear the fizz. My mouth is watering. I take a drink of liquid death. And unlike a tall boy, you could drink multiple liquid deaths and wake up not hungover, <laughs> but hydrated. You're right, and that is a nice bonus. So check it out now, guys. Liquiddeath.com. Or if you're like me, stop into your local 7-Eleven, Whole Food Markets, and other local retailers that are starting to stock the shelves with liquid death. The other cool thing, Mikey, we care about the environment, right? Especially the animals. Of course, you know I do. And the cool thing, Mikey, Liquid Death comes in an aluminum can. So what do you want to do? Recycle that some bitch. It's just that easy. Turn it in, get some money, and go buy more Liquid Death with it. And murder that thirst. That's right. Not only murder that thirst, but hashtag death to plastic. And we thank Liquid Death for sponsoring this episode of the Knocking Doors Down podcast. Strengthening communities, providing resources, building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the race for autism, race to end the stigma, and race to be drug free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved. Visit carlosvierafoundation.org today. If people aren't following you on social media, I mean, that's one of the things that you're just, you're incredibly passionate about what you're passionate about. Yeah. And it's your superpower. It is. It's it's like, I'm sorry, like trans rights is one of my biggest things that I fight for because I fucked up with the trans community and didn't know that you couldn't say certain words. Sure. And this was years and years and years ago. And... This journalist from the Trans Advocate contacted me and opened my eyes to something. Mm -hmm. And it put me on a mission because my whole life, I've just been fighting to be myself. Mm -hmm. And I've been labeled everything that I'm not. Racist, fat, ugly, spoiled. Well, I'm a bit spoiled. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, like, rude. I'm not rude. Like because I stand up for myself doesn't make me rude. Yes. You know, I believe in equality, equal rights. <clears throat> I believe in love for everybody. Like I, that's, that's me. But like the trans community is the one that hits home most for me because all they're trying to do is be themselves mm-hmm. and there is fucking nothing wrong with it. And they're just born in the wrong body. Yeah. That's all that it is. They're just born in the wrong body. Their mind and their soul 
is a different gender and from their body. And there's nothing wrong with that. And the fact that what's been going on with like trans violence and every day somebody is getting killed and no one's doing anything. I've joined with this amazing organization called Glitz and what they're doing is fucking incredible because a lot of trans people end up having to become sex workers to survive. And so what they do is they built the very first housing for anybody who is trans and a sex worker or just trans and doesn't know where to live, like taking people off the piers in New York and actually giving them a place to live so that they can start, get a job, get clean, get what it is they need and start their life as the woman or man they're meant to be. And it's such an incredible, I love them so much. When I met the owner of it, I got really emotional, I started to cry. <laughs> but my, and, and this is where I was really confused with like everything that went on with the Black Lives Matter because my whole thing was, I've been fighting so hard for like gay rights, equality, love is love is love, everyone counts, everyone matters, all lives matter kind of thing. I had no idea that saying that was disrespectful because right. all lives don't matter until black lives right. matter. Right. They don't. All lives do not matter until black lives matter. Right. And this country is going through the great deprogramming. I went through it myself. I went through this whole thing where I was like, I didn't know this was going on. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is wrong with me? I need to educate myself. I had no idea about systemic racism. I didn't know about redlining. I didn't know about unconscious bias, like any of that. And it's been a wonderful experience re-educating myself and learning about things that I didn't know about and understanding why we are here right now in the world that we're living in and the mess that has created because it's got to stop. It's it's time. It's enough. But I understand that the education process is difficult for some and people don't know how to do it. And we're still being educated in the way that we're supposed to educate each other. So it's going to be a slow process. And I just hope that the world has a little bit more patience for one another while we're going through this change and, and that, this great deprogramming. And that's the key. And, and I think what we have to do as individuals is take a look in the mirror and go, what's our part? Exactly. You know, we, we, we go, we see it, we go... You know, whatever it is, it's, it's that, it's the addiction, it's whatever it is. We just go, ah, oh, man, that's terrible. I feel for them. But it's like, it's, it's our fucking world. But it's also like, I have a lot of friends that literally don't have any black friends. And I think that's so strange. You know what, though? But if you think about it, when you talk about anything systemic, too, that it just tends to happen with communities. It's so strange to me. Like, I've go. never had that in my life. I have literally grown up in a world where, like, you have to remember, on these tours, there were freak shows. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, every kind of human being you could imagine in, like, the freakish way, but also, like, I've been surrounded by trans people, gay people. Like, it's been, like, a rainbow my whole life. So I, because I just thought because I'm not racist and I thought that because everybody I hang out with isn't, that... That was enough. It's yeah. not enough. Yeah. It is not enough. You have to be actively not racist. And I have made mistakes in the past. I've tried to fall back on uh, sarcastic humor to make a point, and it went terrible. And I'm still spending... That's one of the things in my amends is like making it up to the communities that I, in the past, had 
disrespected, you know, unintentionally, but it, it was a beautiful education for me. Yeah. So you did a living amends with it. Yes. The living amends, like the living amends is what's most important to yeah. me. It's funny, you're sitting there talking about the traveling freak show and I'm just having flashbacks to like going to OzFest. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? I was, like, there. I was there. There was like, we had like everything you could, and every kind of person you could imagine. Yeah. All the time. And like, I saw the craziest shit growing up. <laughs> like, you have to remember, like, I, like, the first time I ever drank wild turkey was with Pantera. Oh, fucking crazy. Like, jeez. Like, <laughs> I just remember Phil and Dimebag, oh, they were like, you want to try this? It was like, I was like, yeah, go on. And they would hide up, because they had this dressing table with this uh, black velvet, uh, like, I would say tablecloth over it. Mm. And, they would give us drinks and we'd hide under there and my mom would come in looking for us because she'd like, I, if she goes, I fucking know you guys are up to something. Where are my kids? And they're like, we don't know. But we were under there. And then I remember Dimebag always used to give me um, the silk bags that the Crown Royale Crown came Royal in bag, yeah. because I would use them to keep my underwear in and my suitcase because that way it was like... Separated Yeah, and it, yeah. I thought that they looked nice. And, and, <laughs> I and kept then, my Hot Wheels in them. Yeah, and then it was like... And then it became... That's so funny. And then I... It was like, oh, I like the Crown Royale way better than the wild turkey. Because the wild turkey burnt and made me throw up. Oh, wild turkey. <laughs> Ugh. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. That's funny. Did you have any fun? Like, the people, some of those people in rock, who were some of, like, your favorites that you had, that you kind of developed a cool bond? Oh, my God. All the boys in Incubus. I mean, specifically Mikey. Mikey's like a brother to me. Yeah. They we seem like they would be cool. Oh, my God. You've no idea. They were my big brothers growing up. Mm -hmm. Like, I was with them on September 11th in New York. Really? Like, the night before we went out, we went to go see Michael Jackson play at Madison Square Gardens. <coughs> I was meant to go and stay <coughs> with them at their hotel because we were going to do, like, a, a sleepover. And then, <coughs> because, like, they were, like, my brothers. Mm. And... I was I had this weird feeling, so I was just like, no, nah, I think my parents would be pissed off if I'm not there when I get back, because I was still really young. And I woke up to, their hotel was right next to the Twin Towers, so what they witnessed, I was so glad that I didn't have to see any of that. But then, like, going back to other, like, so all the guys in Pantera, they were all always, like, family to us. Um, but then also, like, Jamie from Hatebreed. Um, Jamie Just is awesome. Uh, love him. Um... There was also crew guys that were just like family to us and still are, still hang out. Chris Abrego, they used to call him Condom Chris because he uh, was a part of one of the organizations where they handed out condoms to everybody at all the shows and we would raise money for like HIV awareness and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, I'm trying to think because now I'm on the spot and like if someone's going to be like, what about me? You forgot me. Um, <laughs> we mean to offend So no all the guys one. in Linkin Park... Um, I'm trying to remember, like, every, like, you have to remember, like, everybody was on. Oh, these my God. I'll tell you who else. Jonathan from Corn. He, he's been such an incredible friend to my father. Such an incredible friend to my father. He che they check in with each other, like, every day. He's such a rad guy. Um, I remember Limp Biscuit, where, like, he, like, Fred was always doing something where my mom had to come in and like fucking lay it down lay it down but then i also remember there were people on the tour that were like really fucked up and rude yeah Dad, like to you guys yes really uh singer of iron maiden being the number one 
Really? He used to go on stage and talk shit about my dad what? while he was on stage. And then at the last, and I will just say this, the rest of his band is lovely. The rest of Iron Maiden really are lovely. Yeah, well, thank goodness, because I adore Steve Harris's playing. But never cared for Iron Maiden. But it's <laughs> he would go on stage and talk shit about my dad, and I don't get it. I don't need a reality TV show to be famous. Like all of this shit. Like I never understood that thing, it, it, that trait in people. Period. Like, that, and, and my dad would be in his dressing room, and he never knew about any of it. We never told him. Any I was it. just going to say, what did he say about we it? We never fucking okay. told him because he's not a, he's not the kind of guy, he would just be like, get the fuck off my tour. I don't think, yeah, yeah, he passes me off as somebody who wouldn't really even care. Like, if he heard about it, he'd just be like, whatever. He's like, because he's like, he's fucking Ozzy Osbourne. Exactly. So like, he's, he's like, I'm sorry. He's like, good. <laughs> he doesn't care. But, like, I cared because it's my dad. Of course. Yeah. So, at the last show, I got... Every one of my friends from the second stage. Oh, and the other guys are really cool with Slipknot. So yeah, always yeah. like I love them so much. Um, even they they helped I, some of the crew guys from Slipknot. I remember like like literally there was like three hundred of us. We each had a hundred eggs, and we were like "fuck you," and we pelted them at the last show. Oh my gosh, I would have done the same. And don't I'm like, talk don't, shit about family. Don't talk shit about my dad. Yeah. Don't talk shit about my mom. Don't sh- talk shit about my dad. Cause I'm I'll surprised come it never got to him. Like ever, like people hearing it and whatnot. Like it never got relayed back to Ozzy. Like, hey, dude, this guy's talking mad shit or whatever. We did uh, that last show the, because the he last saw what happened, right. and then my mom pulled the plug on them halfway through their set. It was fucking <laughs> love it. Now that sounds like your mom. Yeah, like, but I then I, I the, like I have like so no many memories of like business. Lemmy when I was growing up. Oh, and, like, I adore Motorhead. Like, and I always knew when Dad had been to Lemmy's house, we were like, oh fuck, Dad went to Lemmy's. He's gonna come back and be nuts. Like, it was just like, and I would see Lemmy all the time, because when I started going to the Rainbow, he'd always be at that right. one part, at the, his one seat at the bar, that next to the slot like machine. Only, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like How's your dad? Like, <laughs> and they, my dad and him, like, they would collect Second World War memorabilia together. Yeah. So they would have, like, a lot of weird stuff that they would, like, find and talk about with each other and they really were good friends and I think that was a hard hit for my dad when when he died I can only imagine well they were they weren't born in the same town though they were at different parts yeah, of England different right? parts yeah. of England but I'm sure probably relating being close and it, you know that yeah, post and like, World War II exactly you know? a, a growing up as a playground being a bomb site so yeah. yeah I could only imagine um how now in doing the steps, in recovery, did that change your relationship with your dad? Because he's been there and we, you know, it's documented, it's been out there as well. Um, so much. Because we're able to talk to each other frankly now. Yeah. There's no, like, I. it took me teaching my dad how to talk to me, which was hard because... My dad likes to beat around the bush, and I like to get to the point. So I'm going to get to the point. Yeah, the point. <laughs> so he starts with, a little birdie told me, and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> no little birdie told you, mom told you, and yes, I did it. And he's like, okay. But it was like things like that, mm-hmm. and then we have the most incredible communication, my father and I do, and it's wonderful because I can go to him for a resource. I can go to him when I don't understand something and he does give really good advice. Sometimes it's not what I want to hear, but 
he gives great advice. Well, he's lived so much life. Mm-hmm. It's like in, in so many experiences. And, you know, and I, again, I think that's the superpower of a lot of people in recovery is that we have seen and gone and been resilient, resourceful, be it in our addiction and post it and everything else to really build the life mm-hmm. that I could, I could only imagine the, the advice that your dad or, or any of it, you know, you would get. He's really learned how to let go and let God. Mm. Like he doesn't involve himself in any of the drama. He do, it's like, that's your shit. Like I'm not feeding the animals. Like he has really done incredible with that. And it's, I really admire him in, in that way. And I wish that I could be like him in my sobriety in that way, because I'm like, I'm scrappy. You can get there. Yeah. Really but then it is what I'm working on. Yeah. But like, I need to learn to not be my, one of my biggest problems is that I don't pause and pausing in sobriety is so important because usually your first thought is the wrong thought. Usually the wrong one. Yeah. And if you sit there and now I have a two hour rule. What do you mean? So if I'm angry about something, if someone's pissed me off, if I get a text message that I don't like, if there's a situation that I am like, like I want to fucking rip someone's head off or I'm not happy or it's made me sad, I don't do anything for two hours. Because in those two hours, you'll come up with all different things that you think that you should be doing. And that you might regret. And then you might regret. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're like, I'm just not going to say anything. And then you're not involved in the drama. Or you come up with something where you're calm enough to set a boundary of saying, that made me uncomfortable. Please don't do that again. Mm -hmm. Well, and we're so frequent in... Addicts, we have a tendency to be storytellers. We tell ourselves this great story in our head of what all these things are and how everything, and we make it huge. But it's so small. So small. Like, a perfect example of that is like outside of my bedroom window, I can see this hiking trail. And every day I'd be like, that hiking trail, I could never do that. It looks so difficult. So fucking difficult. I told myself for four years I couldn't do it. A couple weeks ago, I was like, I want to try it. I wasn't even out of breath. It wasn't difficult. It was the easiest thing I've ever done, but my mind had convinced me for so long sure. that I couldn't do it. But I did. Yeah. And it's like weird little shit like that that you're just like, this is why I'm crazy. Like, <laughs> this is why I'm fucking crazy. So, but I acknowledge my craziness. I like my craziness. I embrace it's it. What makes and, you you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I am now like, okay, this is what we got to do to fix this. I'm Absolutely. not going to do this anymore. How are you doing amazing, Kelly? Thank you. You need to be proud of it. I am proud of it, but at the same time, I'm still a bit in that shame spiral because my ego is mad because I've lost my fucking time. <laughs> I know. I, well, and for anyone that may not, because it, we do count it. It is an achievement. It's and such it, an achievement. Like I said, every 24 hours that you can get through without numbing yourself yeah. is a fucking miracle. Yeah. And it is when you're an addict... You understand that. When you're not an addict, you will never get that. Mm-hmm. You'll never understand that. And then I also think that the program is a gift because we get taught how to be better people yes. and hold ourselves accountable and be honest. And it's, it's made me such a better person all the way around. But don't get mistaken. All of those people are in that room for a reason. Yes. You can't trust everybody. Yeah. You have to find your people. Yep. Like I will tell what you, my, to stay in the my first year of sobriety in uh, 2017, I met somebody who I 
have no resentment to now. I have let it go. But because she did help me and she did show me the program in a new light that I never saw before, which is why I think I fell in love with it so much. But this person lied to me about having cancer and lied to me about her situation. So I started paying for her and she was just stealing from me. And it was one of the hardest things I went through in early recovery because my mind told me, oh my God, these are good people. It's supposed to be like, yeah. and it, like, I was just like devastated. But I know that, that that was her issue. And thank God, like she did reach out to me to tell me, you know, she's doing well, she's sorry. Everything is different. She regrets what she did completely. I'm happy for her. But, like, that's just not... I, I could never be friends with that again. Yeah, of course not. Uh, but there's no resentment. And sure. the program has taught me that. Before that, I'd be sitting here still being like... Yeah. And I'm, I'm not like that anymore. Mm -hmm. and, and, that's I, like, and that's the whole thing. It's like, not everyone you meet in the rooms is going to be a great person. But there are some fucking incredible people in those rooms. There's yeah. life-changing people in those rooms with stories that are your story that you listen to and you're like, oh my God, yeah, I get this. And you get these God shots and then you get excited and all of a sudden you realize that you're doing the right thing again. And my fucking God shot was one look. And I will be forever grateful to him for that. Yeah. One goddamn look. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I guess this party's over. Well, and it's funny because we start to... Because the, the things that most people would sit and go... I had someone disappointed in me in my life or screwed and messed up, whatever. But no, you just pointed out that shit becomes a gift that we don't realize because mm -hmm. I was like you quick to react to everything yeah. because I want an excuse to turn this from this to a, a we won't name the beer company because they're not sponsoring. We wouldn't, <laughs> we, we wouldn't take their fucking money anyways. Yeah. Um, That's why this is facing this way. Right? <laughs> um, but we look so quick to that, that reaction that we don't see those, the, those God shots. Yeah. We don't see them as so much of a blessing because we're so used to everything panning out right then and there. And like instant understand. gratification and when it doesn't, why me? I'm a fucking victim and all this shit. And I'm like, no, I'm a victim of myself and that is it. Mm. And I cannot do this. And I don't want to be Cali sober. That to me is a cop out. And it's... It's not so it's, a, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. To you're you're, you're playing with fire and all of that. And like, I, I tried to be Cali sober for one week. Nah. How'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go, Cali? <laughs> hey, welcome to the club. I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> like crying, eating fucking nachos and getting fucking like, um, ranch dressing all down myself and like not even caring like swigging from whatever fucking bottle I could find and then it was like this person's fault for something and someone else fault for something else and it literally just took one look at somebody that I truly fucking adore looking at me and I was like nope I'm done mm. it took one look well, we haven't met him, but we're uh, we're damn thankful. We're grateful for him. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Me too. And it, you got that look, and that's 
That's the thing I think sometimes when That's people... That's our headline, the look. The, the look. look. I got the look and I was like, fuck it, I'm done. I think that's the thing, too, sometimes when people think about love, we think about all the fairy tale shit, and they don't think about moments like that. That, to me, is love. Yes. That, to me, relationships are work. Like, we're not at the stage yet where we say I love you to each other. Um, We've only been dating five months. But, like, it's like I got happy. I got everything I ever wanted. He's, like, honestly the most healthy relationship I've ever been in. and Scaring you? It scared the shit out of me. And then I was like, what am I doing? Don't be scared. Just roll with it. This is good. This like is even good. last night, I sent him a psycho text message where I was like, you're breaking up with me. I mean, you're breaking up with me. And he's like, no, what are you talking about? I was like, sorry, I'm a real psycho right now. I've had two panic attacks today. Like, uh, like I'm done. Like I did my therapy. I'm so sorry. And he's like, it's okay. I'm just glad that you you came to this decision without me saying anything. And I said, oh, no, 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 motherfucker, you said something. It's just not with your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it wasn't. And then it, like, I'm just very grateful. Yeah. That's incredible. That's awesome. Well, we like to have a little bit of fun before we leave you with the last words of encouragement. We just do some fun random questions. Okay, go on. Hit me. So, right off the top. I'll let you start. Okay. Oh, we haven't done this one yet. If you, uh, well, that's kind of mean because it's, never mind, I won't ask that one. If they were to make a movie about Kelly Osbourne, who would you cast to play yourself? How old would I be? Oh, we got to do, yeah, I know, we got to like be more specific. Story. Right now. If, the, if you, it was my right age now, now yeah. it would be Jamie Winston. Okay. She's my twin. Mm-hmm. She's an actress from England. Her father's mm-hmm. Ray Winston, uh, who's also an incredible actor. And we both have the same tattoo. Like she, like everyone, we're together. They're like, oh my God, the twins are together. We are the same height, the same body. We're both English. We're both loud. We're both like opinionated. And like, that's who I would get to play me for sure. I love it. Right on. All right. I have to do this one. If you were stranded on a deserted island Mm -hmm. and you had one movie and one music album to take with you, what would they be? Abbey Road. Oh, that was quick. And... Rocky Horror Picture Show. Really? Yeah. I love that movie. Abbey Road, I know your dad was a fan of the Beatles. Was a thing between you and him? Did yeah, you get still you into is. it? Yeah? Still is. That's our jam. That's it's awesome. ELO and Abbey Road. ELO? Really? Yeah. My dad's in a real ELO kick right now. <laughs> That's funny. And it's so funny because my mom used to tour manage them. Oh, right. Yeah. Know that. So my mom managed them and co managed and tour managed them for years and. This was like before my dad. Yeah, so is and that when she was with her? Like my mom's so much cool shit. My mom worked on Xanadu. My mom managed ELO. My mom managed Smashing Pumpkins. Like all sorts of like, like you should like Quiet Riot. Or, I just sort of remember all of these like Lita Ford coming in and out and like all these crazy fucking <laughs> different rock stars. Like I just remember being a kid swimming in the pool and seeing like... Axl Rose by there with like just chilling with my dad yeah, and Slash and all time favorite. Just Slash is fucking amazing. Yeah. One of the nicest people in rock and roll. I swear to God, he is fucking awesome. And his kids are so cute. Oh my God, London, I can't. Um, and then like just like I don't even know. Like yeah. the craziest shit I saw when I was a kid. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, we have different childhoods. What? 
<laughs> well, why I love that question too is that the, the things that you find that, that art brings such connectivity because, mm-hmm. you know, my mom grew up here in Southern California, but a Beatles person, it's funny for you to say that because I remember that being on on the Saturday it, mornings when cleaning was happening. And, that's that's, my, that's what I do in the morning. Yeah. I listen to uh, pretty much but on vinyl every, like every day. I love it. That's cool. And it's, it's something that it is because of my dad. He, he is, I mean, hello. Uh, Lennon and Yoko. This is an original Imagine t-shirt. Love it. And I found it and I was like, I have to do what I have to do to get that shirt. And I was too fat for it when I bought it. And it was part of like my, my skinny winner goal oh. to get skinny enough for it to fit Not me. Bad, just <laughs> healthy. You're, I know, no, no, I was fat. I weighed over 200 pounds. Well, okay, I'm five foot you two. You wore it well. Thank you. <laughs> no, I was fat. Um, because, you know, like when you stop drinking, you're like, I need yeah. the food. And, and that's what happened. And then I found out that my body was overproducing a hormone that told me that I was starving all the time. So it would mm. store everything as fat. Mm-hmm. So then I had the surgery and it really helped me like full circle. And then life just got so perfect that I had to fuck it up. Ah, you didn't fuck Put your back on track now, back and that's what's important. Yes, yes. Not a fuck up because you're here and you learn. Mm-hmm. And you got a God shot. I got a real fucking God shot. <gasps> Which is cool. I love those. Me too. The I'm rude more- awakening God shot. So I was like, motherfucker, <laughs> shit. You're up, Mikey. Okay. What are some of your pet peeves? Oh, are you ready for my number one thing? Let's hear it. Please. I have a phobia called misophonia. And it is sound-based. So I, I, I have sound sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's part of my ism or what, but repetitive tapping, mouth noises, loud chewing, um, people clicking with their mouth can make... It, it does... It, it's so strange that it causes a physical reaction, like my knees buckle. I've walked up to people and put my finger in their mouth and pulled their gum out and I don't even know them. That's why I can't go to movie theaters because I can't stand people eating popcorn. If you put me in a room with a fucking beatboxer, I'll lose my goddamn mind. Right when you were explaining those, I'm trying to think, did I do any of those during this interview? No! No, because my, my daughter and I believe her mom to a certain extent as well have it. And uh, It's so bad. Everyone in my family knows. They're like, don't do that! <laughs> well, the funny part was like we were coming back and we had an interview before you, you know, coming from the other side of L.A. almost. And I'm like... Man, I wish I bought some gum or something. I hope my breath doesn't stink. I lucked out. Thank goodness. All right. So you know, I don't. I can't chew gum because I don't like the sound of it in my head. Oh, even you're you making? Yeah, the no, sound it's not. Do. It's not exclusive oh, to any, sure. it, anyone. Like I can't chew gum because I don't like the way it sounds. It freaks me out. What about you eating chips? It's really difficult. I have to put loud music on. Wow. Really? Yeah. So anything crunchy or? Yeah. So it's. It's really weird. Like I, it, it's. It's not weird. It's it's just what makes you unique about. It's, it's but it's always you. been like that my whole yeah. life. So that is like, and my other pet peeve is people who pretend to be people they're not. Mm. I I don't have time for that. Like, I like that. That could be I, one of mine. I have millions. I like, but I don't like that either. You're like, right. and also a pet peeve of mine is sand because it's the gift that keeps on giving. You can't get rid of it. You go to the beach <laughs> and it's with you for the fucking rest of your life. <laughs> uh, 
I hear you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I just know that I was like, well, what maybe else we should stop me? because now I'm realizing I have so much more because I'm like, I fucking hate sand too. Sand's like, no. Okay, like, you when, when, So like, Bobby will even tell you, like when I was living in Malibu because I moved to Malibu for like two and a half years, almost three years. Yeah. And like, how many times did I go to the beach? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. I was like, nope. I'm like, Nope. <laughs> well, like, we'll go to the beach, but it's like, I'm not going on the sand. Like, I'll chill, like, up here yeah, with the Yeah, I would walk Zuma. We did our walks on Zuma Beach, picture, but that was it. And like, then, I, and then ski. Oh, no, no. See, I love the water, but I'm not big a big fan of the, the come out of the water, yeah. then get it all get stuck the water, on you, you get dirty, the sand. And then you get in the car, and then you got to get the vacuum. And, and then you, you get know, the khakis. And then, no, you get and then you're in bed at nighttime, and you're like, what the fuck is this shit in my bed? It's sand. <laughs> it found its way in there. Yeah. Sneaky fucking You're up, buddy. Oh, uh, what's another good one that we like to go to? Oh, if you could have dinner with any one person, living or not, who would it be? Oh, that's so tough. Right. Anyone in the world. And there no, are, are no wrong answers. It's just kind of maybe narrowing it down to one of the people. I don't want to, like, it's so cliche because everyone always like, Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> like, I don't, like... I'd love to have dinner with the Queen. Really? Yeah. I find her to be so admirable and like, she's given her life of service to a country. And like, I'm a royalist, I love the royal family. So I think that, that's who I'd like to have dinner with. Yeah. I've had dinner with all the other members of the royal family, just not her. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That is a new one. All right, Mikey, last, that's last awesome. random question. Random question, random question. <laughs> I'm going to ask it anyway. If you can get rid of one state in the United States, which one would it be and why Florida? No! See what I I had to, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to ask. Look. Uh, it's so weird because like there's so many beautiful parts of Florida as well like I've been and had like incredible times of Florida so I don't know I don't know what state because I believe that if you if I picked a state then it would become political and I don't want to be political right now exactly yeah. that's why I was um, hesitant on asking so, like it's just a jackass just kidding and, like, I love you I, like, I, I fucking love Miami so yeah. it's like of course but and when you think about it, they've done a great job with the vaccine rollout in, in Florida. So, yeah. it, you know, every state has their issues. I think it's, it's just about making the community that you live in a better place. Yeah, sure. It's about doing your part. Uh, it, like, that's why I joined um, uh, part of the, the L.A. County uh, Sheriff's police department mm -hmm. at, as their advisory committee it's like and what we do is we i think it's an incredible program what they're doing and i think it's going to be a great <clears throat> solution to what has been going on with mm -hmm. the police and the training because what we get to do is go into the community see what problems are really going on and then we have a monthly meeting different chapters like there is 
a race chapter. I'm a part of the LGBTQ chapter. Mm -hmm. There is a finance chapter. There is like, there is all different groups and we come together and figure out what we can do to make a difference what protocols we can put in place that would make it easier for police to communicate with situations that are going on. Because my whole theory on it is, yes, I'm going to protest because I think what happened was wrong. Sure. But if you want to make it right, you've got to go in there and you've got to work from the inside and you've got to do your part. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and just say, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and uh, equal rights for gays and LGBTQ, all of it. No, I'm involved. I'm a part of it. You don't just say it, you do it. Right, yeah, right. Like, that is part of the problem with what's going on right now. People are jumping on bandwagons and not doing the work. Right. Do the work. Educate yourself. Learn about what's going on. Be a part of the solution. Don't be a part of the problem and stop being violent. Mm -hmm. And that goes to both sides. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's... It's one of these things where you don't get to suppress anyone anymore, ever. And everybody gets to be equal and everybody gets to have their turn. Mm -hmm. And it's something like, I'll honestly say, like with everything that's been going on that I didn't know about, truly made me embarrassed to be white. Hmm. But it's like, we have to sit here now and, and do our part to make up the, the make up for the wrong of our ancestors. That's what we get to do. Mm -hmm. And that's why I look at it as like, this is great. That's the way I look at it like, hey, this is great because right. now we get to make a difference. <clears throat> we get to be a part of the solution. We're no longer a part of the problem. And it's all about education and it's all about patience mm -hmm. and understanding that this is a time for people like myself to shut up and listen mm -hmm. and let everyone else do the talking for a minute. Let the pendulum swing in the other way. It will come back and things will settle. Mm -hmm. And I think we're in that right now. And I hope so. I really, really hope so. Because I don't think freedom of speech should be taken away from anybody. I don't think that um, a community should be suppressed or subjected to less than for any reason other than not just being qualified. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Like the most qualified person should always get the job. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. And that's what, what it's all about now. And, and I, it's been uncomfortable. It's been horrible. I've learned a lot. But at the same time, it really, I can't say it enough. We're watching the world change. And we just don't know what's going to happen. So that's scary. But yeah. today's a perfect example of how it can change in a good way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that with, with the court case, with everything, with, you know, it's time for justice to be served. It's time for people to be held accountable. It's time for the education, for everyone to self-educate and, and, and do the right thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy I'm a part of it. And I hope that that's one thing, if any, anything to come out of is we're all accountable for ourselves and our own actions and our contributions to this world. Yeah. But people need to stop pointing fingers and labeling people things that they're not and start looking at themselves and, and do their work. Yeah. And, it, and it's okay, people. It's really okay to go, I know nothing about that. And then that's when this closes and you open Yes. So if okay. you don't know, say, I'm sorry, I'm ignorant, I need to re-educate myself, then shut up. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's a scary world right now can't do right for doing wrong and when you think you're doing right you're still pissing someone off 
Yeah, and that's just the access accessibility, as you well know more than us. But you know, millions of people, and everybody's got to comment and tell unless they were sitting face to face. Yeah, then and it then changes real it quick. It changes so fucking quick. Tough guys, yeah. Oh my god, keyboard cowboys. Mm. Oh, but I'm a fucking psycho. I find these people. <laughs> oh, I don't give a shit. And then I educate them. I'm like, hey, what's up? Uh, Say it to my face. What's up? Mm-hmm. Like I've called people. I found people's phone numbers and Facetime them. Really? What's up? Say it to my face. You really think that? Like I, the other day I was driving and there was like an accident. So I had to move to get around it mm. and somebody didn't want to let me in, but there was nothing else I could do. And this person was like screaming at me, calling me a bitch, saying I'm a terrible driver. And I rolled down your window, had my window and what's up? Say it to my face. Mm. What is up? And they looked at me though. They realized it was me. They're like, holy fuck. And they started to laugh. And I'm like, no, what's your fucking problem? Mm. You just sat here saying it, say it to my face. And he went, you're a terrible driver. And I went, I know. And then he was like shocked. Like he couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Like, he just say the truth. I just like, you're, the, I know. The, as you see the fact of my fucking face. Yeah. Yeah. Say it. If you're going to say it, say it to my fucking face and then we can have a conversation about mm-hmm. it. Right. That's the way I am. I, I'm not a fan of keyboard cowboys. I'm not a fan of council, council culture. I'm a fan of council culture, where we educate each other, where you gently give people a nudge in the right direction. You say, I understand that you wouldn't know, but this is what you should be doing. And it's something that like, even in the program, like recently, like a young person that I talked to and helped um, gave pills to somebody who was manipulating them and said, Mm. if you don't give these to me, I'm going to go get heroin. Mm -hmm. He didn't know what to do in that situation. So everything's learning. I wouldn't sit here and be like, fuck you. Why did you give him? Why did you give him that? Like, you can't give him pills. He's a heroin addict. He's going to go straight back to heroin. What the fuck are you doing? Instead, I called him. I said, what happened? Okay. You're, he's like, what? Like, He's still a teenager. He doesn't get it. Mm. Like, it's like this person was well in their 40s and just manipulating a kid. Mm -hmm. So I just said, look, hey, not your fault. You didn't know. But in this situation, this is what you do. And he's like, thank you so much. And like that, that's how you move forward in things like this. You educate and you try to just gently nudge people in the right direction. You lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That's where the work comes in on every individual person. Right. And it just is like remarkable how stubborn people are. Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh yeah, I'm a part of this cause because if I don't look like I'm a part of this cause, people are going to think I'm a racist or people are going to think I'm a bigot or people are going to think whatever the fuck. Like, or I'm a bully. Like, really learn about the cause. Be a part of it. It's so much fun to do. Yeah. Like, I love all the work I do with like, like and I don't brag about it because all the different organizations I work with because I don't believe that's why you do it. I do it because it makes me feel good. It really does, which mm-hmm. is selfish, but still. That's a good selfish thing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing we get to do. And, you know, that's, that's me right now in a nutshell, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, you're fucking awesome. This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I did click. I'm sorry. No, it I didn't even hear it. Son of a bitch, you just said it. <laughs> I was waiting for her to look, at, look over. Maybe and- like. <sighs> Kelly Osborne. 
She, she's delightful. <laughs> she really. She's just a sweet person. I mean, I, I say this with everybody. I really enjoyed this talk, but I really enjoyed this talk. She's such a sweet person. It was. It was a situation. She was so wonderfully vulnerable, and we really appreciate that about her. But, but you can just see that this is such a loving person that really genuinely cares about this world and people. And after the conversation, it was like, man, I felt so good. And, you know, we ended up going to having dinner with her and, and her friend that were there. And it was just a, just a blast of, of a time. Just, you know, don't get on her bad side, though. She'll egg that ass. <laughs> She'll egg that ass and pull the cord. Do not get on her bad side. But when you're on her good side, she's a sweet, sweet lady. Yeah, never going to happen. Never going to happen. And we're really excited for Kelly. She's starting her uh, podcast journey here shortly. Uh, matter of fact, I think in less than a week. So very excited for that and looking forward to checking it out mikey our guest next week mr darren prince that is right if you don't know the name darren prince well he probably works closely with a celebrity that you do know and, or a few celebrities that you might yeah, know. yeah and quite several uh for sure i mean with muhammad ali uh along with uh, magic johnson and so many other people but he's got an interesting story of how he ended up following uh falling into his addiction um, you know, a lot of those insecurities had some, um, you know, things that went on early in his childhood with school and stuff like that, but just has a brilliant mind for entrepreneurship and business. And this one, I, I, boy, I cried. He, he got me there, but it was a great conversation. And of course, he's also started his Aim High Foundation, which we'll get into talking more about that, where he actually pays in full for people to go to rehab because mm -hmm. he is that passionate about sobriety. So looking forward to sharing his story. Yeah, that's incredible. Really admirable stuff. Anything else, Mr. Naraki? No, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down. Fifty-one fifty is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams, and working hard. Always striving to make those dreams a reality. We believe life's too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being fifty-one fifty is committing to that long, hard road ahead that you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's fifty-one fifty. If you're living the fifty-one fifty lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. Listeners of Knocking Doors Down, head over to five one fifty LTM dot com. That website again: five one f i f t y l t m dot com. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does 
listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content, establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.